Dave Gentry. I'm DWS. Senator Scott Bennett with us this morning. Scott, how are you? Great. Happy to be here. So you guys are still farming up north there, huh? And when I sat here last month, if you just said, oh, you'll, you'll still be farming uh, next time you come back, I would laugh. We were flying, but uh, we got a lot of rain up there and uh, took, took about 10 days off in the middle of October. So hopefully today or maybe tomorrow will be the last day for us in, uh, in Gibson City. Still seeing a few working down around Philo and east of here yet. So there's still some areas that got a lot of, a lot of rain around here. Absolutely. Uh, I saw you uh, were responsible for getting some money to Parkland on a building project. Tell us about that. I didn't. Uh... Well, uh, you know, there, there's you know, last the last year or so, actually two years now, we've actually had a budget, uh, and so we have been pushing for some of these projects that just got kind of stuck. Uh, over the, uh, the, you know, the troublesome years uh, in the beginning. The budget crisis? The budget crisis. Okay. I call okay. it the troubles, uh, <laughs> where we, we couldn't do the base, you know, the, the very bare minimum responsibility of state government, but we, got, we have in the last two years. And um, so a lot of this has been, you know, projects that were kind of in the queue that had lost its funding. Um, and so this was, you know, about you know, recognizing the value community colleges are placing. I between Danville Area Community College in my Vermilion County part of the district and, of course, Parkland here in Champaign-Urbana, um, I mean, the, the economy is largely driven by it in ways we don't fully understand because the, so many companies will tell me we couldn't stay here if it wasn't for the training they're getting at, uh, at our local community colleges. So getting them some of the money to improve their infrastructure and add new facilities, uh, that's a must for going forward. Here's one for you. Texas-based energy transfer partners is gauging the interest among oil shippers in moving more crude through the Dakota Access Pipeline. They uh, are talking about bumping that up from 500,000 barrels a day to 570,000. Once you get the pipeline built, I think it's, uh, of course, that is, that's been a decade or, or longer uh, fight. Um, I, I think, you know, no matter what the mode of trans, transit is, uh, they're going to use it to the, to the hilt. So, um, there, there is a lot of uh, of oil on on uh, in that in that area, obviously with Canada and, and then all the way down to Texas. So they're gonna they're gonna find ways to, to get it uh, out to the ports. And um, you know, I'm not I, I, environmentally, I, I wouldn't say it's it's such a great idea. But I, then again, I mean, if there's oil going through it 24 hours a day as opposed to yeah. 12, I don't know that. Uh, I'd have to ask an expert as to what difference that makes to them. That thing ends up at Shell down by St. Louis, doesn't it? I think it does. Yeah. And it obviously gets to the river, and then from there can that's, go. Uh, that's what I thought. So they uh, they take that oil and then uh, ship it down to the uh, uh, southern southern part of the country, the way I understand it. I think that's correct. Uh, with the Mega Millions lottery jackpot <laughs> at a record $1.6 billion, have you figured out what you're going to do yeah, with uh, all this? Yeah, it's funny. I, I got my ticket uh, in Gibson City last night after we were done, and, and I had a really long conversation with uh, the, the cashier telling me how important it was to sign the back of my ticket. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, it's sweet of you to think that's going to be a concern. <laughs> um, but like, of all the things I got to do today, that probably isn't on my list. But yeah, that, uh, can you imagine? And of course, it'll probably, chi- it'll, it'll probably climb higher by the end of the day. Uh, that someone tonight will, will go to bed a, a billionaire that uh, that wasn't today, and you think about someone like our local Shad Khan, and it takes forty years of you know yeah. unbelievable luck and, and, and intelligence to get there, and then sometimes you can make a two dollar investment. Well, I hope I'm in that category. I remember somebody up at Gibson City years ago won the state lottery yeah. at the bowling alley there, and the bowling alley used their one percent money. They painted the place and everything else. <laughs> it was it was great. He is still there and uh, doing some, uh, at least his family is, and they were doing some, they're still using it for very 
uh, nice gifts around the community. He always does it anonymously, but we're like, well, there's only one person that has real money here, right? And so if you do the Park Pavilion, so we know who it is. So if you just walk by the guy and say thank you Thanks. once in a yeah, while. Thanks. Yeah, once in a while would be nice, right? The Powerball jackpot has also climbed. It's up to $620 million for tomorrow's drawing. That would make it the fifth largest jackpot in U.S. history, they tell us. So that's what you want. You want to win that one because you still get $600 million, but you get, like, maybe mentioned a little line at the end of the article because somebody else won four times as much or three times as much, uh, you won't get all the media attention. That's probably the, the that's sweet a, spot. That's a good thing. Of lottery. I would think. <laughs> Here's one for you. Billionaire Democrat J.B. Pritzker has donated $15 million more to his campaign for governor. So I think it's a total of $160 million for yeah. Pritzker. And I I don't know. I mean, if you add 2014 in, you're well over $100 million for Governor Rauner. So, I mean, really. Well, they say Rauner has given himself $68 million. 68 this year for this cycle? That's what they're saying. And my mind had $60 million for what he spent in 14. So, no matter what, we're, you know, it's kind of like our lottery discussions, right? You know, it's almost silly that we're putting money values on this. What I like is that in political circles, it's already on to who's the next billionaire. So, the discussion has been, well, if Governor Rauner loses, will uh, – one of the Ricketts, who's uh, one of the Cubs owners' family, you know, will will he take over the party and start funding it? <laughs> and you're like, boy, you know, remember when you know it used to be a, a real primary, and now it's uh, it's simply a, a very small list apparently that we're looking for on on either political party. It apparently is. You have to have a lot of money to self fund your campaign. Apparently, that was so. always the discussion when Governor Rauner first came in among in Democrat circles. They said, you know, it's already hard to run against an incumbent because they have all the institute. Every time the governor does anything, it's news, right? right. So you got to have enough money to go against them. But now you take Governor Rauner money plus that institutional publicity. Um, you need a billionaire to beat him. Well, they have one now, and so now I guess how do you beat a billionaire? Is you find maybe a family even wealthier. They say Pritzker's new donation extends his national self-financing mark over former eBay executive Meg Whitman, who gave $144 million toward her unsuccessful 2010 Republican campaign for California governor. That's, so, the, that's the kicker, right? Imagine having the record currently and, and not having even the victory to remember. You know, I bet exactly. that would soften at some point the loss, but... Uh, to spend that kind of money, and one of them will, either Governor Rauner or Jay Pritzker, will have spent, you know, close to or over $100 million and not be successful on November 6th. Well, Rauner won, but, you know, we have a history of these millionaire candidates. We've abandoned them at the uh, at the voting booth a lot of times. That tends to be true. I mean, you, you, you the polls always skew their way because they have so much publicity, and people who may not be paying attention yet when they answer the poll will go, yeah, I, I know who this person is. Um, but I think often there is kind of an afterthought if you have a, uh, a candidate that you really maybe appeals to your heart a little bit more, uh, that, that can overcome. I mean, Barack Obama in 2004, when he ran for Senate, is the perfect example of that you had a very, very wealthy uh, candidate in that primary who had literally just done everything J.B. Pritzker did. Of course, he had a, a scandal in like, well, uh, you know, much worse than what we've seen with Pritzker mm -hmm. uh, at the end. But it's the same thing in, in conventional political circles. You're thinking, oh, the money's going to go, you know, going to be the, the, the win. Uh, but um, Barack Obama just kind of chiseled out an area for himself. Did uh, now Pritzker turn around and sued those people who sued him last week? He sued them back, didn't he? I, I saw something well, in the news about it, but I haven't seen any They at least discussed a, a, a countersuit for defamation. Yeah. Um, that's pretty tough. If all the allegations, one, if all the allegations are in a lawsuit, that's pretty protected under our, our current tort law. Two, um, if you're a public figure, and trust me, there's 
you know, every day I see things that people say about me or about, about people that I, I know very well, and I'm like, oh, that's too bad. Like, that's certainly not true. But when you're a public figure, uh, the standard is much different for what people can say about you, and that's just kind of um, par for the course. There have to be some mornings when you get up, you're just like, what's it going to be today? <laughs> there, there are those days. That was more true during the, uh, the troubles uh, where, you know, you just didn't know <laughs> what, what the problem British. was going to be. It does, right? It's from, the other, <laughs> from Northern Ireland. But, you know, at least, at least now when people will call the office and say, hey, you know, the state's really behind this payment or that payment, you know that it's in line somewhere and it's about making sure that becomes priority. Back then it was, I don't have any good news for you. We're still working on a budget. Um, so the job, you know, the, the things we're able to do are certainly a lot better than the words a couple of years ago, but there are frustrations like all jobs. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen with this Davis-Londrigan race? It's uh, I, pretty I, tight at this point. It is very it? tight at this point. I mean, the conventional wisdom, and it's really weird for us where we're sitting right now, right? Because Champaign-Urbana is such a bubble. Yeah, you, it is. You go anywhere you want in, in town, and you will see the magnets that say unseat and have unseat, you know, Congressman Davis. Uh, and have and seen those for a year. And I'll tell you, as a public official, if I saw before we even had a candidate, just a movement saying, get out of here, uh, that would be pretty disturbing. Um, and so that's true. You see less of that throughout the district. Obviously, I'm in Springfield a lot. That's also part of the district. It becomes much more conservative outside it. But I will say this. All across the state, it becomes less so as you go downstate. But um, there is, you know, pr particularly on the D.C. side, a, a polling spike for the Democratic candidates. Um, in the suburbs, it's really shocking. In areas that have been conservative for 100 years, um, they're either in a dead heat or the Democrats might be leading. Um, and then as you go downstate, I don't know if the, if the blue wave will be as prevalent, but I would say this is not a race I don't want to put money on uh, at this yeah. point. Uh, I think it's going to be a really, really close and um, we'll see who get who has the turnout uh, come election day. I think there's energy on both sides in this thing, and you just don't know how these house seats, for example, are going to turn out. Well, a great example, and I, this is why social media is just a wonderful thing because you can kind of see and know. You know, I very rarely say that, by the way, uh, but you know, you <laughs> I'll, can I'll mark that down. <laughs> yeah, remember when you said yeah? Uh, but you do get to see the two sides of of the world, right? Because typically we get our news from sources that agree with us, our friends, or people that agree with us. But on social media, you know, maybe you have friends from high school or from around your, your area. And, you know, the, the, the Kavanaugh hearings are a great example of that. Both sides got energized by the same thing. Yeah. So my liberal friends are like, boy, this is going to be a big thing for us. And my conservative friends feel the same way. Um, you know, that's kind of where we are in the world now. It's, it's, it's so divided that, you know, the very same news story has two completely different reactions depending on the listener. All right. Senator Scott Bennett. Scott, thanks for your time this morning. And I know you thank God every day you're not in an election this year. So. It, it, it's good to have a four-year term this, this time around. I agree. <laughs>